0: And we are back for our discussion here during Economic Focus. We're talking about the effect of Brexit on the markets and how various countries have been trying to mitigate uh, the potential economic damage to this, including through Monetary policy and uh, the central bankers around the world all of the tough decisions they do have to make we're getting an assessment on that. Give us your thoughts text us at pound one zero one three for fifty one or send us a Kakao talk message by adding TBS eFm as a plus friend we're going to be joined by an economist from the u k very shortly here in the studio we have Professor Yang Jun now there's been some volatility and i've heard Professor Young that some analysts say that you know it's actually not been as horrible as as uh, initially that being said um are we still in a period of uncertainty right now as far as markets are concerned
1: oh yeah they had a a big fluctuation today because some of the uh, funds uh, real estate funds in uh, uh, london uh, stopped paying out or or, uh, disallow people from withdrawing money from the uh, funds so that had an effect on the uh, asian markets as well but If you remember that old cliche about known knowns, unknown knowns and Mm -hmm. unknown unknowns, we've been sort of stuck in this uh, known unknowns. So uh, we've been worried, but nothing has gone sort of beyond our expectations. So in that sense, the markets has been calmer than expected. And one thing that's really been encouraging to me is that if you look at how the markets have acted in virtually all markets, except maybe the British, you have some fluctuation in the morning and stabilization in the afternoon. So that means people are not panicking. They're just getting new information and adjusting accordingly. So if it goes on like this, then we're going to have a rough time, but we're not going to have any kind of crisis. No crisis is uh, better than having a
0: crisis, obviously, although uh, we're not enjoying necessarily this period of uncertainty. Speaking of uncertainty, uh, we want to get uh, the situation as it stands, uh, both in the UK and uh, in Europe. And we're very pleased to have joining us uh, from the UK at the University of Birmingham, economics professor John Fender. Hello. 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 Professor Fender, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, as, as we understand it uh, from way across uh, uh, the, uh, the ocean here in Asia, both the UK and the European Union, um, there is <laughs> a state of flux, I, I suppose to uh, say the least. In terms of the central banks, the ECB and the Bank of England and their pressing decisions, do you expect that there will be a further expansion of uh, quantitative easing?
2: Um, almost certainly, yes. I think we're facing a lot of uncertainty. Uh, but also in the next few months, I think we'll see, um people very cautious in spending decisions, investment decisions, consumption decisions and the like. So we are likely to see a slowdown, uh, I think certainly in the UK and probably in um, the rest of the EU. And uh, about the only thing uh, central banks can do to combat this is uh, to expand their quantitative easing programs.
0: So essentially, they do not have any other choice but but to, to go this route.
2: Yes, um, I mean uh, the sort of policy interest, interest rate is is uh, you know very low at half half a percent, you know, possibly they could consider um, lowering that um, a little bit more. But, you know, there's, there's not really much uh, scope for doing that. And uh, even if they did do that, I'm not sure it would have a great effect.
0: And just getting the thoughts of uh, Professor Yang, who's here in the studio, and just from what you've been able to observe uh, as to what's going on in the aftermath of Brexit, do you feel that
1: um, there is a danger that uh, perhaps um, a recession is on the horizon? Okay, well for United Kingdom, I think uh, everybody sees recession as almost a certainty. It's just a matter of whether they're in it right now or whether they'll get into it in a few weeks. EU on the other hand, I, th- uh, I think there's a good question on whether it'll actually be a recession or just be a longer slowdown. Uh, obviously, EU has been hit by this as well, but EU is a larger economy. uh, And nothing real has happened yet. I mean, uh, there has been a shock to uh, EU's profitability in the future, growth in the future. But right now, nothing real has really happened because they're not out of the EU yet. So if EU is lucky, then they might just get around with a a longer slowdown and not actual recession where they go into negative uh, growth rates. Professor Fender, would you generally agree with that assessment?
2: I think I'd almost entirely agree with that. Um, I mean, nothing real has happened, but what has happened is that there's now a massive amount of uncertainty. And, um, you know, I expect... um, Many people will react to that by being very cautious about, you know, spending decisions. So, you know, I do think that uh, a recession is is highly likely in in the UK. Um, it's going to be a little while before we get any sort of facts and figures to, um, you know, document that. But, you know, I'm expecting that, you know, over the next uh, few months there'll mm. be, uh, you know, plenty of evidence, plenty of figures to to support this.
0: Interesting. If we look. At the United States, and I suppose prior to all of this, uh, a lot of the fears among investors, uh, analysts, uh, well, at least from their perspective, was how hawkish uh, Janet Yellen was and how um, fast she was going to uh, uh, engage in this uh, tightening plan. Is it pretty much safe to assume that that's all off the table right now, Professor Fender, that uh, we're not we're definitely not going to see a rate hike, uh, um, a further rate hike in 2016 and maybe further?
2: Well, um, I think one, one of my maxims is never to say never, so <laughs> we really don't know. But, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's very difficult to uh, see uh, the circumstances under which uh, a rate hike would, would take place. I mean, the... You know, the um, forces impacting upon the world economy are all, as far as I can see, in the deflationary direction, as well as Brexit. There's also the slowdown in China, and also there's major uncertainty about the outcome of the U.S. presidential election in uh, right. November. So there are a lot of uncertainties, there a lot of sort of deflationary forces, and unless there's a really major change, which I you know, don't see happening, mm. I-, I would expect that um, we won't see any federal uh, reserve rate hikes for a considerable time to come.
0: Professor Yang, it does seem like a rate hike would, of course, also take off the table here in Korea. A, a lot of serious discussion on trying to uh, make another drastic cut here as well. What do, what do you foresee with the U.S.?
1: Okay, well, U.S., uh, I think not only with the Brexit, but the most interesting article that I've read about Janet Yellen not raising the uh, rate in the last meeting was that she had a uh, labor market index that she really likes to look at. It that counts not only uh, the unemployment rate, but also things like the wage increase, uh, the uh, job tightness in certain industries and so on. And that index has been falling for this year. So it's not just the uh, Brexit and the international circumstances; it's also the U.S. recovery. Uh, if you just look at the uh, uh, unemployment rate and things are improving, wages seems to be improving also. But there does seem to be some weaknesses in the uh, U.S. economy itself. And she's probably going to have uh, she's uh, Janet Yellen's probably going to want to see if that works out before mm-hmm. they actually raise the interest rate another two to five point two five percent. Uh,
0: One scary thing about that is if you are one of the uh, group of people who are a little bit frightened at the prospect of Donald Trump winning the presidency is if those economic headwinds come at the right time and we see the electorate somehow kind of perceive that to be the fault of the current Obama administration and likewise, then uh, Hillary Clinton, that could be quite dangerous. And just, uh, I guess, along that point, Professor Fender, um, not necessarily about Donald Trump himself, but one of the things he's always railed about is um, currency manipulation, how... Uh, countries like china and japan are uh, not uh, playing fair and how he's going to make america great by uh, demanding accountability from them is this essentially what we're seeing though with them in the aftermath of brexit where a lot of central banks or a lot of countries around the world can use this as cover to try and devalue their own currency do you see any signs that we are going through perhaps a mini currency war
2: yeah there there might be a an element of that, but you know i don 't think it 's that um, countries are sort of deliberately fixing their currencies. I mean in a time of floating exchange rates, um, currencies react to changes in um, economic variables and in policy variables, and, you know, I think one of the consequences of quantitative easing is that, uh, you know, exchange rates uh, depreciate. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm anticipating, you know, plenty, de- plenty of quantitative easing around the world, and as a consequence, plenty of currencies depreciate, but every currency can't depreciate against, uh, you know, um, all other currencies. So, um, Uh, It'll be the currency, you know, the um, countries that um, indulge in most quantitative easing that will probably have their uh, currencies depreciate most. But, of course, uh, the UK, we've had this separate Brexit shock, which has produced a large fall in the exchange rate.
0: And that, Professor Young, is also kind of leading to the question of, what much how much more can you do this i mean i'm not i'm not trying to be one of those uh, uh arch libertarians or like stop printing money but you've already pumped trillions and trillions of as, dollars of assets into the markets already and, and not to be facetious is
1: isn't there going to come a time
0: when you run out of ink for the printing presses
1: well the uh, fr- sort of a frightening thing is that we don't see it yet uh the most obvious uh uh result uh, that perhaps we printed so much too much money is that we see inflationary expectations mm-hmm. rise but we haven't seen it rise yet uh, it seems that every time you print money uh, every time you print uh, say uh, government bonds in the US Uh, or Germany, there's more than enough demand for it so that you don't have inflationary pressure. Mm. And that actually is very frightening because that means that people are not confident enough to spend. And that means the recovery is further and further away. Mm -hmm. So uh, I would actually love to have people start worrying about inflationary pressure. That means people are starting to spend more. Right. Uh, But until we get that, uh, we're going to be stuck in the same uh, low-growth global uh, economy environment uh, for the foreseeable future.
0: Professor Fender, And you did come right out and say one of the maxims is never say never, so it's, it's impossible to predict exactly how this is all going to turn out but generally how do you foresee? it seems pretty evident that uh, central bankers at least in in the uk and europe will act one way but do you think there is a uh, a a, an ideal cocktail i i I suppose in terms of a a mix of sound policies both monetary and fiscal uh, among these uh, leading economies to try and mitigate the situation
2: well, you know, I think the situation is that, um, you know, as far as monetary and fiscal policies go, I think probably, um, you know, central banks and um, governments are really doing what they can. I mean, we haven't really mentioned fiscal policies yeah. so far. Um, now, you know, we've had this sort of austerity in the UK and the um, government debt to GDP ratio is, uh, you know, gradually uh, declining. But it's probably still on the high side now what i 'd expect the government would do is um, carry out some extra spending in in the very short run we 've had a, um, a suggestion that corporation tax might be cut, so there 'll be some. Uh, tax cuts and possibly expenditure increases uh, in the short run, I would expect, uh, you know, over the next few months. But the problem is that that this will raise budget deficits. Mm. And uh, in a situation where, you know, uh, we were anticipating budget deficits to continue for a number of periods, you know, this will be a concern. And, um, you know, worries about... um, you know, the sustainability of the um, government debt and uh, things like that will sort of restrain um, government's ability to carry out expansionary fiscal policies. So it seems that governments are doing what they can or probably will do what they can, but um, that may not, may not be enough. Mm. So, you know, I'd anticipate we have... Uh, you know, a considerable period of uh, uncertainty um, and, um, you know, deflation ahead of us. All right.
0: Well, uh, not necessarily the most optimistic assessment, but uh, instructive nonetheless. Professor Fender, thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate your insights. Thank you. Professor John Fender uh, from the University of Birmingham. Uh, is it is it generally that's the case, Professor Young?
1: Uh, yeah, I think... Uh, Most uh, of the advanced economies have a very large uh, debt-to-GDP ratio already, and Korea is actually in a uh, more healthier... Relatively uh, speaking, Relatively speaking, Uh, but we're frightened to death because we're going to have a lot of increases in debt in the future because of the uh, demographic aging problem. Uh, But I think this brings us to some kind of a lesson that we need to learn, uh, which is, well... If you talk about textbook economics, then what you want, ideally want to have during the boom period is a lot of uh, uh, surplus, government surplus, so that they can uh, have uh, stockpile money up so that we can be used in cases like this when we have – Uh, uh, recession and government need to spend more. But what tends to happen is that if we do get a a government surplus, then the politicians and the the, uh, executive branch wants to hand out that money either either as a tax cut or an increase in uh, government entitlements or government payouts uh, so that, well, they can become uh, more popular politically. And then uh, once the recession hits, we find that our debt load is growing and we don't have a room to maneuver. Uh, So this is actually a lesson that we know, a problem that we know that could happen, uh, but we don't seem to be able to avoid it uh, because there's so much political pressure every time you see a uh, budget surplus that perhaps uh, that money should be going to people's pockets instead of being... uh, Mm. Instead of being held in cases of recession. And another problem is uh, this problem has been really uh, uh, exaggerated because uh, this recession has been going going on for so long. Nobody expected the uh, recession to go on this long after the uh, 2008 financial crisis. And uh, it's gone on gone on almost as long as uh, the great depression the great depression started from 1929 and right. it went to 39 to 41 its just the severity is different right, right? so yeah. we did learn something we did learn how to reduce the severity over the uh, last century but we haven't seemed to learn how to reduce the length of it so that's a problem for economists economist theorists
0: Ultimately, a lot of this, and you mentioned politics because you said the uh, National Assembly here is dysfunctional. I mean, even with the supplementary budget, um, there's a tug of war over whether money should be used for the, the nudie curriculum, which, of course, would be sort of stimulatory, but also is kind of a political hot potato. And then in the UK, you have some of the architects of Brexit basically no longer uh, just kind of leaving the scene, kind of like what I guess it was termed rats kind of uh, abandoning a sinking ship where Boris Johnson's not running for conservative uh, the Nigel Farage of the UKIP no longer in power. So It seems like politically something can change as well that could alter the dynamics of this.
1: Okay. Well, uh, there's two questions. So let me ask. Okay. Uh, let me ask the first one first. Uh, for the Korean circumstances, the textbook answer on what kind of expansionary policy we should have is something that is temporary. That's targeted toward the uh, this recession in particular. So, if you're going to permanently install some kind of type of welfare programs or permanently install some kind of uh, programs expenditure programs or tax cuts i would be somewhat concerned about that because well we mentioned that there is a problem of having a demographic problem in the future so we don't want to com- uh, we don't want to commit too much into too much expenditure but we do want to get out of this uh, recession so uh, if uh, so it should be targeted uh, toward the uh, may- maybe the next a year or uh, or two years, three years. Uh, So any type of permanent programs, I would really uh, be concerned about. You're meaning nudie curriculum, right? Something like that. Okay, what's an example of a temporary? Okay, well, in the United States, they've been having some success with uh, uh, the... uh, Unemployment insurance. Mm-hmm. Unemployment insurance, obviously, if people get their jobs back, then you don't pay anymore. Right. So that's a type of uh, temporary expenditure that's uh, ideally suited for this type of recession. Uh, another uh, procedure that they used is that they knew that the uh, state revenues are going to come down. So they, uh, uh, they gave subsidy to things like uh, teachers, okay. uh, to firefighters, uh, so that they can maintain those type of people until the uh, local revenues went back up. So something okay. like that. That would be a better procedure, I think, than having a uh, very long permanent type of expenditure program. Uh, conditional welfare pro- programs, I think, can be useful. Uh, unemployment insurance is one, uh, I think, the uh, biggest one that, uh, that could be most useful in this case. Now, as for uh, London, as for UK, well, uh, I'm not quite sure what advice to give them. Uh, but frankly, I've been very disappointed that the uh, Brexit camp had no plans whatsoever. Yeah. And the uh, fact that a lot of them mentioned that the uh, prime minister, the government, should have had a plan, I think, uh, really details how irresponsible some of the uh, uh, Brexit supporters were. Because, well, government can't come up with a pl- First of all, it wasn't the government. The government was not even ready right, right for it. They didn't it, want it. So... But secondly, even if government uh, had to put in a contingency plan... Brexit people had to tell them what they wanted and because they had such wide variety of what they wanted and a lot of it was mutually incompatible, they couldn't come up with a plan if they wanted to.
0: Very uh, very cynical situation indeed. We're going to have to leave it there. Professor Young, as always, thank you for the great analysis and hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you.